Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Thanks for checking out this feed of my favorite interviews and best guests over the last seven years. Whether it's your first time or you're already in a deep dive, make sure you head to BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Again, that is BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com. Enjoy. Was it escape at Danamore or escape from Danamore? Because I always called it the wrong thing constantly. Yeah, we had a debate about it. Um, it was escape at Danamore. Escape at Danamore. Yeah. Actually, I loved it. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I really did. I've talked about it multiple times. I, I'm in on all... Pro- I've I've been saying for years that there should be a cable channel called um, Bars with a Z, and it's just prison programming. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, channel 558 on Time Warner or something. Right. And it would just be all the prison movies and TV shows we've had. So I'm always in. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there is a lot. There's secretly a lot. Yeah, and that that was something. You know, I've never actually been like a super uh, prison genre fan. Yeah. I do enjoy the occasional escape movie, but it's not like I was like obsessed with Escape from Alcatraz or anything like that. It was like eight hours. Uh, yeah, basically, it's like yeah. It was uh, originally we had it as eight episodes, and then we decided to make it uh, seven episodes and have the last one be a little bit longer. One of the things I really liked about it was it was an every week show, which I think is a, becoming more and more of a lost art, where a lot of these shows now almost seem designed to get you to binge and to watch three or four at once. And this yeah. was not a this was a really deliberate show that wasn't meant to be like that, which yeah. I appreciated. Yeah, it was, you know, I mean, it was kind of when we had the uh, idea of it and we went around talking to different networks about it we talked to netflix and and other streaming uh services and you know i imagine if one of them had wanted to do it maybe we would have done it that way yeah but it, it worked out uh, and i think showtime you know it's interesting because when you make those shows now and they all come out at once it's it's challenging because you know there's all the attention is paid to it you know all the marketing kind of goes in for the for when it you know when it's yeah, it's basically 72 hours that you have yeah. to push it and then it goes and away. And it's really, you know, which kind of reminds me of the way movies are now too. Yeah. You know, you get that opening weekend. But when you're on a, a network that shows it week by week, it, it ended up being a great thing for us because we were able to have uh, the audience have a chance to to find it. And it actually, every week would build in its ratings, which, uh, you know, was was a good sign for us that people were getting into it. But And people could catch up after the fact. I, I think for like a site like the site we have, we just like it more when people do it that way. Like we have Thrones coming up now and we're treating it like it's the NBA playoffs, you know? And the the cool thing is like each week is its own week of content for us. But when like Stranger Things comes out, it's all at once and we almost don't know what to do. Yeah. How do you dole it out? How do you? You can't. Right? And you can't, you can't track different... how people are watching Right. Yeah. You might be on episode five. I'm on two. Don't tell. There's a lot of don't tell me. Sure. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not there yet. Um, yeah, no, it's a really interesting thing because it, obviously it's changed the way people watch things, and that that was never a question back in you know, you know when we were growing up. That you know it was just you watch things when they you know like if there was a mini series that was going to be on like Roots or right. Shogun, um, Rich, Rich Man, Man Poor, Poor Man, Man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know that was like oh my god, it's going to be four nights in a row. Yeah, and it was an event and it was a thing. I remember watching Roots and being like this, just being like the most exciting thing. 
And and then, you know, now it's all changed. And it's actually made made me think about it when we were making the show. I was wondering, well, wow, are people going to want to keep on coming back to this? Because it's not going to be there for them. They have to actually make the decision to want to keep on watching it. You know, right. I, obviously you have to do that when you're binging also, but uh, it's kind of easier because it's also laid out the way, you know, Netflix or Hulu does it where like the next episode like comes up before the credits are even over and you, you have to like make an active choice not to watch the next right, episode. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, so- Or you start is, watching and fall asleep. Right, right. 10 and minutes you, in, then you have to wake up the next you, day, you're yeah. three episodes ahead. What it's also happens? listening to podcasts if you're like in bed and you fall asleep <laughs> and it's like in your subconscious. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I, I um, so I, I really thought about that. I was wondering like, will people want to come back for it? It, it? And it's it's almost a little bit more challenging in that way. You had to kind of trust that people were going to be into the vibe. And then also it's about prison and this world, which is pretty oppressive. Yeah. And I actually think that it's, it's nice to be able to watch it and be in that world for a little while and then go away and have your life and then come back because it's, it's kind of like going to prison. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why I'm I sure like the prison. There things. must be a critic who wrote that, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's, but it's a really heavy thing. So I think it's nice to be able to kind of like go in and out of it and wait for it. And you had, uh, you had some really good performances in it too. And Patricia Arquette is like almost unrecognizable and, yeah. That performance is insane. Yeah. I'd actually be surprised. I, I mean, I don't know who the competition is for her, but um, she's it's a, like she just kind of became a different person. Yeah. It's interesting because I've known her for a long time. We did a movie a long time ago called Flirting with Disaster. Yeah. And um, I was going to ask you about that later. Yeah. And we, I, I love her and we, we've kind of stayed in touch, but you know, not really seen each other a lot over the years. Yeah. And I just knew she would inhabit the role um and the biggest thing was you know she had to change her physicality and gain some weight and uh i think she, that commitment from the beginning of doing that uh, put her in a mindset where she just was a, a different person and then she also is just a great actress and she but it was funny because like i got used to her being tilly the character yeah yeah um, cause she just was that. And, and so when, when people started to see the show and they were so blown away, like, Oh my God, I don't even recognize her to me. It was like, well, that's just Patricia. Like, I'm, cause that's who I've been with for the last, you know, eight or nine months that she right. just was that. Uh, but you know, she has no vanity as an actress. She's not thinking about anything other than being the character. And, uh, and she's funny too. And she's, you know, she's, and as a person, she's really, um, generous and i think that as an actress that you see that in her work that she's just kind of there to be in the scene it's not about her well you accomplish something that always cracks me up when it happens where by the last episode i'm actually rooting for the guys right and these are terrible guys yes. I'm like no no go that way like what the, what the no no don't stay in the cabin too long it's, yeah it's something about escapes where you're just always rooting for bad people yeah well i mean naturally they're going to be the protagonists you know because you start to you know, you're just watching them for that. And, and they're charismatic actors, yeah. hopefully, that you want to watch. But, you know, we felt it was really important to include that second to last episode. The flashback you, one. Yeah, yeah where yeah. you see what they did because these were not victimless crimes that they committed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, from reading about you over the years, it always seemed like, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but you kind of wanted to be a director, but you stumbled into being this... A plus list comedy star, but that wasn't necessarily what you expected was going to happen. I think I semi stumbled onto it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I it, it's it's true. I always wanted to be a director since I was ten years old. I love movies, and I did struggle though as I became a teenager and discovered because my folks are in comedy. Yeah, um, but 
it wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do what my folks did because they were my parents and I wanted to be my own person. And I was struggling with that. But then I discovered the comedy that I connected with when I was a teenager and thought, oh, I, I want to do that. So I kind of was doing both. I was, and I was dabbling in both. And that's even when I was doing the, the shows that I did in the, you know, early nineties and uh, the MTV show, show and the MTV show and then yeah. the Fox show and, you know, working with all those uh, great people in that world. I, I always felt like I was sort of not of that world because I wasn't as good at that. I, and I really loved directing those shows, yeah. I loved, you know, directing the sketches and that was, and, and I always wanted to keep on directing and, and directing different kinds of things. And it just sort of, then I, but I kept acting also, but it was, you know, in the beginning, it was kind of after the Ben Stiller show on Fox was canceled. Uh, I went, I directed reality bites. Yeah. But that was sort of, and but I also did a, a part in it too. So it was kind of, but, but at that time, nobody was really hiring me as an actor. It was just, I happened to connect with Helen, the writer, Helen Childress. And we started improvising a little bit with this character and, and, she said, oh, you should play this, play that guy. So it was kind of like, it just happened in that movie, but I came on that movie as a director first. Yeah. And then it sort of, I think, changed a little bit. And then when I started to do movies that people started to go to, and then it became a thing where that sort of would be like, oh, if you want to act in that movie, why don't you direct it all? If you want to direct it. And I was interested maybe more in the directing, but people were coming to me as an actor because that sort of drove everything. Well, the the, the TV shows... Some of the stuff that you were trying that, like when you look back, you're aping the style of like certain things, which totally. that was the one advantage other than the fact that the cast was young. And it was just, I kind of felt like that was more for, I was almost the age of who you were going for at that point. I was probably junior in college, right. but you were aping a lot of the way things were shot. Whereas SNL was still a traditional, there is just a sketch show they weren't kind of pushing the envelope with stuff like that. And you were doing a lot of tape stuff. And I actually thought yeah. that pushed SNL into, you know, trying to try more stuff eventually. Well, they eventually did. I mean, I think that that's the amazing thing about SNL is that it's lasted for 45 years or whatever that, that Lauren has figured out how to do that. Um, but you know, that's a live show and that, that was just not what they were built to do. Yeah. You just couldn't do that. Um, but they started to do more and more, uh, you know, pre-tapes or, or little films little commercials I mean, yeah albert brooks was really the first person who right did that for snl and that was what i when i saw his stuff i that was what made me want to do what i did and i i wanted to do that at snl and that time they didn't really have the facility for it they weren't well you were a cat what were you like a what featured member what was, I was it a featured yeah a featured player and an apprentice writer uh but not for that long right no for no because uh <laughs> because at that same time I got the opportunity to do this MTV show and uh, it was precisely for that reason. I felt I wasn't good at being a live performer and, and this was an opportunity to actually do, to direct shorts and to be able to do it in that format. And but that, that was, was when you were on that, whatever season that was, that, that was probably one of the most loaded casts they ever had. Yeah. And then you're just kind of randomly well, there yeah. for six episodes. You have to commit to being there. I mean, you know, I, it's 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 a really you know it's a very specific environment and you have to work really hard to get your stuff on the air which is yeah. you know, just it's always been the natural order of things so you know when you go in there as a as a feature player or uh you know not as a main cast member even as a main cast member you still have to write your own stuff and you have to create it and i just made the decision at that time that i would be better off for doing what i wanted to do to to pursue that 
So did you tell Lauren that? <laughs> You're like, I'm out? I, that, we, nobody I, left I that show did. when they were yeah, in. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy thing to do. Um, and He's like, maybe you should stay two more episodes. <laughs> I mean, Lauren is, you know, he's he's Lauren. It's a, it was a very hard thing to do. And over the years, we we you know we like grew apart and then came back together. And um and now things are great. We're actually working on a movie together. And well, uh, you've made some cameos too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. Did you you've hosted it too, right? Hosted like a way times. back. Yeah. When was the last time? Uh, the last time I think was two thousand eleven or twelve. I think maybe. you like doing that or no? I. It's, I find it stressful. Yeah, I would imagine. Performing. Um, yeah, I really enjoy having takes. I like, you know, being able yeah. to do it over and over again. So we just did, we did this podcast called The Rewatchables that people like. And we did Reality Bites a couple of weeks ago, actually, because it was the 25th anniversary. Yeah. And right. uh, one of the arguments was like, is this the Gen X movie? Because it was always like Reality Bites singles, kicking and screaming. Yes. You know, so we were like, we decided it was at least on the Mount Rushmore. And then basically whoever was uh, in their twenties during that stretch, they kind of have their movie and it's not, it's not the right choice or the wrong choice. Yes. Reality Bites, I think has aged the best out of all of them though, because it really does feel like a 1994 movie. A lot of the pop culture references that are in there and just the things people care about and the fear of AIDS and what do you do after you graduate college? It hits these themes that were really relevant there for five, six years, I think in probably the best overall way of all those movies. But what, how do you feel about that now, 25 years later? I, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's so long ago now that I feel like it was very much uh, an indication of who I was then in terms of as a director and who Helen Childress, who wrote it, she was writing her life. And she was in college at the time. Yeah, yeah, she'd like I think just gotten out, and you know she was writing writing her world. And so for me, I was coming out. I think it was a pretty honest uh, point of view for me because even for playing Michael in that movie, it was sort of where I was coming from as a person into that you know looking yeah. at that group of people. And we tried to incorporate that into the into the movie, but um, you know when you're I was whatever I don't know I was twenty seven or something and yeah so you know at that time i i think i thought i i think i thought i knew a lot more about everything <laughs> than i do now you know and i and there's a certain confidence you have when you're younger to go forward and try to do things like that make movies yeah um so cause i and i know that because i'll look at uh, i see sometimes like b-roll footage of interviews that i did on the set or and i'm like who the fuck is that guy <laughs> what, like what the hell did i think i i really thought i'd was the shit or something like it's crazy and 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 it's funny to look back at it now but i i'm at the movie itself um i i and i haven't watched it for a while i think i watched it maybe like five years ago and i'm gonna watch it again because they're gonna do a at the tribeca film festival we're gonna do a screening oh cool and have everybody from the cast and helen there um and and do some sort of panel afterwards but you know it, it looking at it it's just you know you look back at i look back at my choices as a director and things I would have done differently and things that I go, I think, oh, that actually, you know, holds up in that way. Um, but as a timepiece, I think for sure, you know, the movie, you know, the music and the music uh, the really held up. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. Super big gulps instead yeah. of Starbucks. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. All uh, that stuff. It's we- really interesting because I mean, it's uh, everything has changed so much since then. Ethan Hawke was on here, I don't know, like six, seven months ago. And he had said he just randomly watched it in a hotel room a little, a couple months before he'd come on and he, and he was like, 
he did this whole impassioned, like, that's a good movie. Like he, he was really like proud of it. And yeah. he just hadn't seen it in a long time. That yeah. character, you know, he kind of became that character for a few years and then had to break out of it. Cause it was such a distinct, powerful character. Yes. People just thought that was him. And then, you know, you got to break out of that whole thing. But. Yeah. And also, you know, he'd been acting since he was a kid. Yeah. You know, right. Like explorers and movies like oh, that. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I think. And then he, he was the Dead Poets guy for a while. Right, and then right. you got to break out of that. Yeah. And that was, I think, the same way it kind of, that was me maybe at that point. Uh, that was closer to who he was at yeah. that time. So, you know, I think that's maybe also what it tapped into. Uh, and Winona also. You know? Right. And I think she saw, or at least an idea of, you know, of of how she saw herself at that time because you know she also was a huge movie star and she's the reason the movie got made when she said yes to it right so everybody was kind of you know actually themselves in that film yeah so then you do cable guy yeah <laughs> which i was reading something about you and they were saying like after that movie you were in movie jail, which I don't really remember that part. I actually like the cable guy, but I think I remember it turned into a thing where, where people were like, Oh my God, Jim Carrey's making $20 million. Well, come on. That's ridiculous. And people were prejudiced to not like it immediately. And then it was a dark movie. Yeah. I liked it though. But I think now it belatedly people came around on it. Yeah. It you was probably, not, that probably didn't make it feel better at the time, but it was an interesting experience. It's the first time I ever was in something that wasn't, that was a, a considered a failure or a bomb or had antipathy, you know, aimed at it from the press. Not that I'd done that much or, you know, had been uh, reality bites was sort of like, okay, you know, it didn't, yeah. it, I, I, you know, it was so naive to the whole process back then too. Like when you haven't gone through it, yeah. you don't necessarily care about all that stuff as much in a way you're not aware of how how much comes at you in terms of criticism or yeah. box office or all you know you they're, they're an idea out there but when you're going through it the first or second time it's 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 different because you don't you've never experienced it so you don't know what to look for what to care about or what the red flags are yeah which is i think a good thing yeah because we never would have made cable guy if we really knew what like all those you know pitfalls in in, in terms of making that kind of a movie for a summer as a summer movie um and but it was Jim wanting to say, you know, I, I want to do this and wanting to take a chance. And he was so uh, powerful at that moment in time to just say, this is what I want to do. And then he chose to do something that was very edgy. Well, he just had one of the great movie years of all time. Right. He'd yeah. done Ace Ventura and The Mask right. and Dumb and Dumber all in one year. <laughs> so <laughs> whatever he was yeah. wanted to do, they were going to do it. Um, yeah. And I, I remember I mean, I remember the premiere and uh it was at the chinese theater and like the lights came up <laughs> sort of the people were i remember i think it was the director of uh maybe it was uh ace ventura or looking at me kind of like what have you done <laughs> this look in his eye like what was that what you've taken our, our our beautiful gym and what have you done to him <laughs> um because you know it was weird and it was dark and did he like it who, Jim? Yeah. Jim loves it. He was all in on it, Jim right? loves it to this day. He yeah. loves it. Yeah. And we, I had the best time making it. Up until the movie opened, it was the best experience. And then when the movie opened, and I remember reading a New York Times review and saying, you know, the first disaster movie this summer has come out. It's called right. The Cable Guy. I really I was do like, feel oh, like it whoa. was 50% just his salary number coming out. Well, they It, they it was like a scarlet it. letter for it. Yeah, they decided to announce it. Yeah. Uh, almost pridefully that you know this was happening and 
then I think it also just should not have been a summer movie. And yeah. And we didn't even know what the hell we were doing in terms of marketing or caring about marketing. I think I, if I had known more, I probably would have fought more to not have it be a summer movie. But I didn't know. And I also, I probably wouldn't have made that movie, you know. As we're talking about it, there's like a monsoon in I Los Angeles it. right yeah. now, just pounding <laughs> on our on our roof. Um, what, the other interesting thing about that movie, belatedly, is that Broderick's playing what would then become like known as like the Ben Stiller part. Yeah. Cause that was like the part that, <laughs> you know, you were the go-to guy for that part for, mm-hmm. I mean, you probably still are. They, you, how many times did you play variations of? I can't even keep track. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it was before I had done that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but now looking back, it's like, it's just weird that you weren't in it with Jim Carrey. <laughs> it seemed like that would have made more sense. But um, I mean, that goes back to, you know, directing and for me and, like I was so happy directing that movie. I didn't, yeah. I wasn't even thinking about wanting to be in it. And I've, it never was a thing for me wanting to direct and act at the same time. It just, it just evolved that way. Kyle, we're not picking this. up the rain on the, we are so picking up the rain. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. it it's kind of well, romantic. Rain. So I like it, it really it. is. Totally picking up every drop. <laughs> this is bizarre. I guess it's, uh, let's talk about, uh, so then you work David in cold blood. You know, the, the rain <laughs> shot. <in> cold blood. <laughs> David O. Russell, 96. Yeah. Flirting with Zat. What'd you learn from him? Um, wow. You caught him early. Yeah. I mean, David is uh, a very, very creative and, uh, you know, he's, it, it's, it's a roller coaster ride working with him. And I had not worked for a little while when I did that movie and I read the script and thought it was so funny and met with him. And he was kind of like this mad genius sort of energy. Yeah. You know, and I think that's part of what he did. I haven't worked with him since, but, you know, at that time he was stirring the pot and getting people and looking for, you know, a way to kind of sometimes I think a a movie set can get very sedate or it gets very kind of like, this is the way you do it. And they set up the lights and the crew, you know, does their thing. And then the, the cast gets called in from their trailers. And it's sort of like, he, you know, the energy can be really kind of down or sort of like set and he was all about like just mixing it up and getting right. people to you know be just like get their state to be something that's not necessarily like we're going to act now and i think that's always worked really well for him you when did you start having people improv on the set with stuff was that like when you were doing the tv shows um give yeah. it, people try different ways of doing stuff and letting them go a little yeah, bit Yeah, i mean we would do that on the sketch show for sure um you know, uh, Judd Apatow. Well, he I said were, that was a big influence on him. Really? Yeah. Really? Oh. Yeah. There you go. Uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we were doing that show together, the Ben Stiller show. Yeah. And Judd was, you know, writing furiously and producing fur- at the age of whatever, like 24 or whatever. He was like, you know, arguing with the network and, and holding the line. And just like he had it just innately in him. Yeah. To be a great producer. And he... Uh, would write stuff out, but then we would always play with it on the set because you wanted to try to, you know, come up with joke options or whatever. And then it sort of became a thing. Um, and then in the movies for me, I remember doing it not in, I guess, uh, like in Flirting with Disaster, there might've been some improvisation, but not that much. Or like, you know, and working with someone like Noah Baumbach, there's no improvisation whatsoever. Right. He's like, at all. do it's the like lines. Word for word. Um, but then, you know, doing like Meet the Parents movies or those, those kinds of things, there was a lot of... Um, 
playing around. And then, or the Farrelly brothers was a whole other thing where, I mean, it wasn't, it was beyond even just improvising. It was just like, you know, weird, like people would show up that are like, you know, they're, 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 kindergarten teacher or something would be doing a dramatic <laughs> <Right>. scene with you <laughs> or uh you know it's just like kind of like that was just sort of like any like a free-for-all you know that's an amazing movie i actually thought that movie should have been nominated for an oscar william goldman wrote that once and i was like he's right that that comedy is never get appreciated but that movie it was so influential in the time it was like wow what's this yeah. Oh my God. And I have it, to say, I think that movie holds up. Me I, too. I, I, I came across it the other day and I was watching some of it and just, you know, it's just the tone of it is so much, it's just so much fun to watch it. And it just has such a good feeling about it. And the jokes are so flat out, out there, you know, they just go for it in a way that tonally it's just so consistent. And, and I, I and you just, I just enjoyed watching it outside of myself. Cause I don't, right. I don't really enjoy watching myself, but like Matt Dillon, there's so a lot of people throwing movie. their fastball in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Like Cameron Diaz is outstanding Incredible. in that movie. Yeah, she's it's great. Like, you know, her defining movie probably. Yeah, it's interesting because when I think about making that movie or like being in uh, Florida when we were doing that movie, I didn't know what the hell was going on with those guys because I, I really was questioning, like, they, they're just so loose. Yeah. Like, do they really know what they're doing? What's going on here? Because they, but they were having and they had, so like, much. Their cousins as their the bartender. Cousin, everybody's yeah. in it. Um, but they really just knew what made them laugh. And it, they, I just my memory is them like sitting by the monitor, and just you know, just having a great time. And 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 when they laughed, they knew that that was. They were like, oh yeah, that's it. That's what Pete has such a great sense of is, and Bobby too. And, and they work both work together and they do different things on the set, but. Um, Pete was always just really confident when something made him laugh that that was, and he made you feel like you could just try anything and, and go yeah. for it. Did you think that movie was going to blow up like it did? Um, I didn't, I had no, because at that point I'd never been in a movie that had really blown up. Right, right. <laughs> um, so I, I did have a sense that it could, would be really funny. When I read the script, I remember thinking and calling my agent saying like, this thing could either be like the, like one of the funniest movies ever or just be horrible because these jokes are just, you know, they're just like, if you don't pull them off, they're just going to be really embarrassing and bad. And, it's, and then, yeah. So I, but you know how, how it came out, right? Like in terms of like the, the way it built up. It was summer of 98. I remember that. Yeah. But it didn't open at number one. It, it opened. Oh, it was like three weeks middle. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually, I think it was, I, you could check it, but I think it was like eight or nine weeks later. That's when it became it finally, number one. Finally got to number one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would like, never grew. happen. Now. And 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 the 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 chairman of Fox at the time brought me into his office like two months after came. He said, "I want to show you something." And he showed me this chart. He's like, "This is how most movies open. You know, opening weekend you go down by fifty percent down." And he showed me something about Mary, where it just kept on steadily going up and up and up, and then finally got to number one. And he said, "Just that never happens." Yeah. And and you know nowadays there's movies don't have a chance for that to happen because of the way that things come in and out of the theaters and the need that the theater owners have to make money in terms of, you know, what people watch. And obviously people are watching, they're not going to movies like that anymore. And, you know, in terms of the box office. So it's, it's, it's it much harder time. to get into that. You got to see that word of mouth vortex that every movie really wants to get into. I remember it happened with get out, even yeah, though get out was did. marketed really well, right. but it's still at some point turned into a movie where you almost felt 
inadequate if you hadn't seen it because everyone else was talking about it. I think you're right. That's like maybe one of the few times it's happened in recently. recently. Yeah, and that, you know, I, maybe it's because you know the window for when things get on television or streaming is so soon now that people like my son is not really into going to the movies. He's 13. Uh, and even a movie that he wants to see is like, I'll just wait till it comes on Apple TV. I know. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's coming on really soon on Apple TV. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? And, uh, and back then that wasn't happening. So you really did have to go to the theater. And then there was that communal experience that people get in a horror movie, yeah. which people still go for horror movies. But in a, to, I remember watching there's something about Mary in a, in a theater with people and just like a full house of people laughing. It was, it was really exciting and fun. And that that just, was a really fun movie theater experience, yeah. which I think is its own version of a movie category. Because Get Out was like that, too. It was just fun to see yeah. it in a movie theater. And I remember going to see The Matrix and having that feeling, too. Yeah, yeah, You know? And it just was a different thing going to the movies. I don't know if that was also a different time or also just a different age when, uh, you know, that was a thing that we would do more. I don't know. Well, now, the way they try to get people to come to a movie is, is basically the movie is so... You know, it's like Captain Marvel or something where you want to see in the movie because it's, it's meant for the big screen. It's just better to watch it here than on your 50-inch TV, right? Horror movies, same thing. Come here. It's more fun to be scared with a whole bunch of people. Like Us is coming out this week. Right. I want to see it in the theater because it's more fun to be with 200 people who are all scared at the same time. But for the most part, a lot of these movies, you, I'm like your 13-year-old son. I would just right. rather wait. And like, I, eh, fine, yeah, fine. I'll wait two months. I don't and care. I am too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I did. I went to see Halloween in the theater. Yeah, me know? too. And and I really enjoyed that. You know, it was really fun. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's. I mean, obviously, the superhero movies and um and those huge event movies have become what people go to the movies for. Um, it's kind of and it's kind of hard with comedies these days. So that movie comes out for you in '98. But you also have your friends and neighbors in 98, which, was, <laughs> which I ride for. That's one of my favorite weird indie movies because oh, really? it's got that crazy Jason Patrick scene. In the steam room? In the steam room. He's <laughs> talking about how I, I didn't want to talk about it, but that movie's crazy. So you have that one and then this one at the same time. I did then, four movies. I remember. Uh, oh, you did Permanent Midnight too, right? I did. I did four movies in 1997. Yeah. Uh, Zero Effect, Jake Kasdan's yeah. first movie. And then I did Permanent Midnight. And then I think Friends and Neighbors. And then uh, There's Something About Mary. Because I was watching it from afar going, is he trying to get serious on us? And then you made There's Something About Mary. Right. It's like, all right, we're good. I was just trying to work. Yeah. I had no <laughs> I didn't know I was plan. living in Boston. I didn't know what your motivations <laughs> were. I was just happy to get jobs. Um, and, I, and, and Permanent Midnight, you know, I was excited about playing that role and, and uh, it was because it was totally different and yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. But I, you know, I also was really excited to do Mary too. So I guess I should have had more of a master plan, but at that time I was still sort of transitioning. It was an interesting, I don't know, time because it wasn't like I was one thing or the other. And I, you know, reality bites I had done that too. And as a director, so it was just, and then when cable guy came out and didn't do great, it really was harder to put together a project as a director in yeah. that world. Um, so but, now after, after there's something by Mary, you realize, all right, this is your agents are telling you, well, hey, you should, was, you should yes. do comedy movies. There's a lot well, of money here. Yeah. I mean, then leverage. it was like literally people were then offering me movies as an actor to star in. 
Yeah. And that was the first time that ever happened. But I'd been, you know, doing it for since whatever, 80, you know, nine or whatever. So I'd been around for a while. Doing so it. when did you really have the leverage to make whatever movie you wanted? Well, like Zoolander? I mean, I think it was after there's something about Mary when I then I made a couple movies that didn't do great. And but yet I still was able to make movies as an actor. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing. But you'd I mean, meet you'd meet the parents two years later. Yeah. But the before that, I had done Mystery Men, which had, had not done great. But that was like the first movie that had been offered after the song about Mary and yeah. um, keeping the faith. And, you know, it was like I was trying to figure it out and understand what kind of leverage I had, if if any. I didn't really understand it you know, yeah. that way. I just because I was just used to being. I was really happy with my career and what I was doing before this time about Mary. I was really happy. I felt yeah. like I could do whatever I wanted, honestly. Like, I, you know, I felt like, oh, I, I'm interested in this. I mean, yeah, maybe it's harder to get something made, but it, I didn't feel like I was like, oh, I just want to, like, if I just could get into a hit movie. I never, right. I never thought that. I thought, like, I'm really fortunate. I'm able to direct s- some things. I'm able to act in movies. That year when I did those four movies, um, I didn't know that Mary would be the one that would be like a, a blockbuster or anything i was just like oh wow this is a great year i got to do four movies and they're all different um so after that though i made a couple movies that that weren't successful uh but then i guess you know with meet the parents you know that i remember i mean honestly i remember getting a call from jay roach and him telling me that he was interested in doing meet the parents and he had talked to robert de niro and robert de niro said he would do the movie with me <laughs> <laughs> And I, I like was sort of like my mouth was just hanging open on the other end of the phone. I was like, wait, Robert De Niro knows who I am. Right. And he's approved me to be in a movie with him. And Jesus. that might have been like a moment for me when I thought, okay, well, this is great and kind of cool. And maybe, you know, that, that, that was something I wasn't used to. The crazy thing about that movie is we had very little indication that he could do comedy up to that point. Like he had been right. on SNL a couple of times. Right. Um, other than that, was not somebody that, was known to have like this great sense of humor. So that was almost part of the gimmick. Now that movie, that movie, uh, it's been out almost 20 years. Everybody has seen it. Generations like my kids seen it there. They'll have kids. Their kids will see it. It's just one of those movies. Yeah. And it's hard to explain that part of the gimmick was that people were so shocked that he was funny in it. Yeah. But he was. Yeah. I mean, and that was part of, you know, for me, what the whole dynamic of the movie was that he was, did you get along with him? What was it like, like when you weren't taping? Um, it was, uh, I was a little kind of quiet guy, right? Yeah. He was intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> it was Robert De Niro. I mean, he wasn't, it's you not like if he's he, going to go to Goodfellas mode. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> smash know, smash your payphone against somebody. <laughs> he, yeah. And I'd see that happen. I mean, not, not smash your payphone, but I mean, you know, he is Robert De Niro. So it's not like he drops that persona when, and he's a really sweet guy. Yeah. He's a great guy, but you know, he's got that thing. And, I, I knew that that was part of what the dynamic in the movie was. So it was just sort of, it wasn't, wasn't really acting that much. It was kind of just being, you know, with him in the scenes and really feeling out. Like I remember the first scene when I meet him for the first time, that was one of the first scenes we shot and just being so nervous and then cracking up in his face. I like literally laughed. Like he did some look or something and I laughed <laughs> off camera yeah. Which is just mortifying. You know, it's something I would never want to do with an actor that I, if maybe somebody I knew, like yeah. Owen Wilson or something, like, you know, like if we knew each other and we like laugh about something. But this was Robert De Niro and I'm trying to like show him that I'm a real actor. And I just started cracking up in his face because I was so nervous. 
<laughs> and then and he's he, like, what are you doing? No, then he looked at me and then he laughed. He smiled because, you know, he thought it was funny. And that sort of made me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, but the whole movie was that was that feeling. That so, unease. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like I was trying to foster it. And then as we got to know each other a little more over the years, uh, it got a little more comfortable. And I, you know, but I still feel that all the time. <laughs> At what point your profile increases and then you're running into people that you used to parody on your on your old TV show? Mm-hmm. Like you had Bono, <laughs> Springsteen. <laughs> yes. uh, did you start running into those people? Tom Cruise? Yes. Yeah, I did. They, were they were they cool about it? They were. They were all cool about it. Um, but like ten percent of them, you know, they're like pissed off about it. No, I mean, also like you know, I feel like my impressions were never going for the jugular. I was never. I never felt like I was. You know what I mean? It was like sort of out of necessity. Yeah. Even Tom Cruise, like the first time I did Tom Cruise, it was because we were making this film, uh, this short film. My friend Ralph Howard and, and Steve Clayman, we were making this short. This take off on the color of money. Yeah. And we couldn't find. And Steve actually did a really good Tom Cruise. And then, and then I started to, and I looked a little bit more like him. So I was the one who did it for the movie. That's how that evolved. Yeah. Um, and I, so I always felt like I was doing the impression sort of out of necessity, you know, we were talking about earlier, just like kind of like more enjoying, like doing the whole sort of takeoff of the whole thing. And then, but then I would run into <laughs> Tom. I ran into, uh, cause my girlfriend at the time was working with him. Yeah in the firm and so they're making the movie the firm and so i met him down in memphis oh gene Triplehorn. yeah yeah i forgot you dated her yeah yeah and that's um, a good movie yeah and so he was really cool like we went down to his house and he's and he'd heard about the impression and gene had told him i guess i guess he knew also and he was like let me see it let me see it and he wanted me to show it to him <laughs> You want to be like Jordan Wallace? Break it out. And I was like, no, I, I don't have it with me, but I, I will get you a copy. There's no way I was going to sit there and watch it with him. And I then we ended it. up, but then we ended up, you know, doing it together. Yeah. Uh, MTV Awards and, uh, yeah. But and, and Springsteen, didn't you do I've it always, on SNL? Uh, did you do? I think you did cruise on SNL like once. I might have. You done, did some. Yeah, you might have done it. Remember, you did Eddie Munster. Eddie Munster on Sprockets. I know he did that. That yeah. was a, that was an important moment. <laughs> it was great. I love Sprockets. Um, but uh, yeah, and then Springsteen. I, I remember like again, like something being at a wedding or something, uh, and he was there and. I, th- I think he said something to me like, yeah, I saw that uh, impression you did. <laughs> of me counting to 24. <laughs> and then he just sort of nodded and didn't like give me anything. <laughs> but I've, I've been such a huge Springsteen fan my whole life. So yeah. I think I was just naturally like, oh God, I just wanted to. Well, I remember the show, the show got canceled and then it just disappeared from the face of the earth. Totally. Yeah. And so you had these, va- I was, you know, these vague fair, memories of stuff. Yeah. We were up against 60 Minutes. <laughs> oh, and that, yeah, that was, <laughs> and yeah, we had, and there, there, and we were like, nobody was watching Fox too. No, but I mean like there's no YouTube. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That it was just, it was I know, just, it's weird. It doesn't exist. Just dis- it was like liquidated. Yeah. So I had these memories of like, I had remembered what was the one when you did YouTube for the, the cereal? What was it? Lucky, oh, it was Lucky a Lucky Clovers. Charms, Lucky yeah, Clovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like that shit, I was like, I just need that in my life somehow. And then all of a sudden YouTube came on. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden all that stuff gets revived. And then yes. I think it was out on DVD and stuff, but there was yeah. this 10 year stretch where it was just gone. Yeah, no. And it's not really streaming anywhere. Also, I feel like with everything that exists, there should be some little pocket where you could stream it. That's weird. You got to work on that. Yeah. 
Um, but actually, I remember, I remember like 10 years ago or whatever it was, maybe it's longer, doing, getting, trying to get the DVD made just to like have a copy of it. And you did director's commentary for yeah, it, I think, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. 2001, you do Zoolander, which, which had like, it can't, when did it come out? Like a week after 9 11 or like a week it and a half? It came out um, like, uh, yeah, I think like a week and a half or something like that. Because I remember, I remember going to it, and it was like people kind of needed. Yeah, there was a lot of controversy about releasing a comedy then. Yeah, but it, in a weird way, like, um, I don't know. People, people needed something. They needed somewhere to go, right? So, but I remember the controversy at the time being like, "This is." Well, I was doing press for it, and I remember. Uh, on the Today Show being asked, like, did I think it was vulgar to release a comedy at this time? And I, I was, I had no idea I was going to get that question. Yeah. I literally was just like, you know, you're going out to promote your movie. And obviously everybody was talking about 9-11 and we all were in shock and in a weird place. But I had no idea that that would even be an issue, really, honestly. It was a big crisis. I mean, SNL had the same battle of when did it come back? How did it try to do sketches? Yep. Sports had a big thing. How does... Yep. How do we have football again? What do we do? And it, Zoolander was kind of in that whole thing. But Definitely. then that movie had ended up having legs too, and yeah, it became like a totally did, but, rewatchable. Yeah, but it you know it was not a big hit at the box office and did not get great reviews and you know all that. It had the legs though. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, definitely it got there. survived. <laughs> <laughs> it had, is, it's funny to me, you know, because... It didn't. It wasn't like a, like an Austin Powers or something like that, which you know, which which was a huge. Well, the hit. first Austin Powers didn't do that great. I mean, that, right. that was then, another one right. that had legs, and then it led to the sequel, right? Which was a couple years later. Exactly, but. and the sequel was huge. So then I noticed, and I was looking at your IMDb. It was like oh four, where you're in like five movies. Mm-hmm. One of them which is isn't credited because you're. I think it was Anchorman. But oh yeah, right. But you did. Um, Along came Polly. Right. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. Yeah. Give me, give me your give me your 15 years later thoughts on working with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, you know, the un- untapped comedic genius, really. The guy, you know, I mean, brilliant actor, great guy. Uh, but boy, was he funny in that movie. He's so funny in that movie. And he's really funny in Boogie Nights. Like yeah. he had this whole side where it's like in his spare time, he was this really yeah. good comedic actor. Yeah, he he could just do it if he wanted to do it, and I, I remember laughing a lot with him. I mean, I still think about him in that basketball scene in Polly. Just you know, that became dance. the scene. Yeah, I think yeah. that that became like the YouTube scene yeah. from it. And he, you know, he was just uh, you know obviously a, a guy who had a lot to, a lot to give as an actor, and was so talented as a dramatic actor, but um, could have done a lot of comedies. That's an interesting movie for me because. I, I don't even remember if I saw it when it came out, but at that point you had been in a lot of stuff. Jennifer Anderson had been in a lot of stuff. It it wasn't, I, I don't know why, but I was late to it. And I remember somebody emailed me and was like, you forget, like, I was some sort of basketball thing. I did in a mailbag or something. So I was like, you got to put the Elon K policy in there. I'm like, really? So then I watched it and I was like, this movie was good. Why didn't it do better? It but did, I think it, sometimes that happens. Yeah. It did well, it but did it didn't. okay. I mean, it opened well. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I remember every single box office moment. But like it did it did do well when it came out. It did like well enough. But I mean, you know, it wasn't Yeah, but like, that's what I mean. Like it did well enough, but it wasn't. 
Yeah, but sometimes it just kind of comes and goes. But also, I think it's sort of how you like how movies actually affect the uh, culture, or right, and that's what you're talking about. You know, yeah. whether or not something like breaks through in some way, or it affects you at the time. Right. And I think like movies like that, they either you know sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, and uh, especially that was a time when comedies there were just there were so many more comedies at the box office that could break through. You know, and you became part of this generation that I think it. I was, I would say it's like, uh, like in basketball where the guys, you know, like it's like LeBron and Wade and Carmelo, and you just kind of see these generation dudes as like Together. a class, right. right? And your class kind of became a lot of these guys that you kept working with, like Luke Wilson, Vince yeah, Vaughn, for a period, Will Ferrell. Yes, yeah, though, yeah, for a period of time, and then it, and then it got sort of like. I don't like the in. frat pack thing. I think that's, yeah. I don't it's know also, how that happened. I don't know what that meant too. Cause I never, like I never was into frat humor or that like old school. Those movies were like funny, but that wasn't, I wasn't in, you know, yeah, you, I, I don't think you did. You didn't do one of those type of no, movies. Really? No. I don't, yeah. I didn't. No. <laughs> I think. swear I did. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like those were funny movies. It just wasn't, I just wasn't a part of them, you know? And Will and I, um, you know, we didn't do that much together, really. I'm a huge, I think he's the funniest guy ever. Yeah. Like, I, I think of everybody to me, like, he is just insanely brilliant. Were you watching him on SNL during that whole stretch? And like, how aware of you were of everything that was happening in comedy as you were in comedy? Um, I was aware. I mean, I think, you know, especially when you're in it and you're doing your thing, you are aware of it. I mean, and SNL was, uh, you know, that was a great period for SNL too. And, you know, yeah. he was so friggin' good on that show. Um, but, you know, you're also like doing your own thing at the time. So you're kind of, that's, that's why that, that grouping sometimes is interesting to me that it doesn't seem quite accurate because everybody actually was kind of doing their own thing. Right. Yeah. Though Owen and I did a lot of movies. I think Owen and I have done like 11 movies together. Is that true? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I was counting the other day with uh, uh, my friend, uh, and I think it's 11. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you have to count like the three Night at the Museum movies, which we never really would be in the same place because he was a little person. Right. And so like, like we, sometimes we would never even see each other when we were making those. Well, you did, you brought back Starsky and Hutch, which I thought was interesting because like in Reality Bites, one of the things that jumps out now, like Tommy and Kyle over here, they watch Reality Bites. Actually, Kyle and I did watch Reality Bites because I was for preparing for it. That was great. He enjoyed it. Oh, cool. But a lot of the pop culture jokes are just, just flying over somebody's head like they're playing the good times game yeah right and right, right, right like he's not gonna get that no. but <laughs> when i'm 25 in 1994 right i totally get it because it was that was what we had we only had three channels and yeah those you know reference all points. of us saw good times we all remembered all the episodes and i always wonder like what what the people in their 20s have now because everything's so split and yeah, carved up. There, that's I, I do have a, a connection with that nostalgia, maybe, and I don't know if it's just because it's getting older too, and just like you hang on to those things. But yeah. you're right, there's a less, there's less common uh, uh, memories that we have of, of shows like that. Like you know, we can talk about Roots, or I don't, know, I don't know if you remember that because you're, younger, I do, but like you know, those those moments are so seared in my memory. But now there's just so much, and and so you know, there's that also sort of like the second wave of that, you know. Tommy's generation can YouTube it and see yeah. what it is, right? But you don't have the actual visceral memory of watching it as a kid. Uh, yeah, the the Michael Jackson Motown 25 thing is like that. Cause I feel like yeah. 
that was so incredible in the moment and that became what made it great and then nobody could see it again it was on and it was gone right and now it's just on youtube i remember coming into high school coming to school the next day when that was on everybody was talking about it all day yeah so oh four you also (laughs) did dodgeball yeah meet the fockers yes and you were on Curb Your Enthusiasm for three episodes. That's a strong year. Yeah, that was a lot. There was a lot going on that year. So that, <laughs> I remember that year. <laughs> Did you like doing Curb Your Enthusiasm? Uh, I loved it. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, there's nothing like doing that show because of the way he does it. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing. I mean, there's one thing to do improv in a scene that's written, and then you kind of go, okay, let's try some stuff or see where it goes. But the first time you do a take, uh, with the way he writes it is he writes this sort of spine of this idea, you know, this outline. So the first time you do it is the first time you're ever writing it really. Yeah. And, and there's nothing like that where you just don't know where it's going to go. And it's really fun that way. And then you do take two or take three where you've already done it once. So you kind of have a sense of where it went, but then the take two could go a totally different place. Right. Um, and I like that he leans into sort of all that prickly stuff and like people being unlikable and anger yeah. and frustration. <laughs> Obviously that he, you know, is sort of like synonymous with now, but like for actors to go in there and be able to be an asshole or also I, it was fun to do that on um, Ricky Gervais's show extras too. Yeah. But that was like, that was totally written, but, th- but doing it with uh, on curb was, you know, was really fun because you end up drawing on a lot of real stuff. You know, because it's coming out of your subconscious and you're just kind of doing it in the moment. Did you ever think of creating a TV series like that where you could have had a chance to dive into a character? And Yeah, no, I never thought about it back then. I think about it now more, yeah. actually, because I think now there's just so much. I mean, he was really a pioneer in that way. We're yeah. just doing different kinds of television. And now I feel like there's so much freedom in television to kind of do. You could do whatever you want. You could, you know, you could do something like that. And there's a chance to really explore stuff that I think that back then I wasn't thinking about it. I was thinking I was, I was enjoying doing movies and, and I always loved movies. So television was a, it was a, was never sort of what, what really was drawing me. Yeah. And it draws me now more because just there's more opportunity there. Um, you know, like something like doing like Dan Amora, you know, there, I think the story warranted having, uh, you know, seven or eight hours to the story. But that tone of show or that kind of a, a movie is very hard to get made now. I remember there was a New Yorker feature about you a while ago, like probably I remember that. seven, eight years ago. And a lot of it was about where the industry was going and your feelings on it and and how involved you were with just the big picture stuff of when you're putting a movie out, what it means. I always thought that I I always thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. because I hadn't heard a lot of actors kind of think that way it was was like you weren't just thinking of somebody who's in the movie you were thinking about every aspect and it talked about just how meticulous you were with with all this stuff Mm -hmm. did you think that reputation was unfair or fair or somewhere in the middle um i think it was probably somewhere in the middle not unfair i mean that definitely was you know i think you know i I know that article you know it's i i i when I look back at that period of time, I think I was very focused on trying to have the best outcome of a movie that that everybody would work really hard on. You want to have the best outcome. Yeah. Marketing and all that stuff. 
But I think what I've learned over the years is that it's very hard to control all that, no matter how hard you work at <laughs> right. it and what price you pay for it. You know, it's and, the old nobody knows anything. William Goldman quote. You yeah, just don't know. Ultimately. For sure. Yeah. Which that's he said a lot of really wise things about uh, movies. And but I think that's what I've learned over the years is that I put a lot of energy into trying to control that stuff. Yeah. And the price that you pay is you can be, you know, for people who you're dealing with, if you're not dealing with them in a way that is um, as uh empathetic and kind is you know because you're so more focused on getting what you want yeah i think that's what i did yeah <laughs> and i you know and i look back at it now and for me what's more important is uh, to I, I first realize that i can't control it all as much as i would want to and i don't want to leave for me in the wake like an experience with someone i'd rather have a good experience with someone and maybe not and and, and still uh, communicate to them what i would want it to be but then, then leave it at that because I'd rather have the experience be good for myself mainly. I think that's what, because I like, I spent a lot of energy wanting to try to make something be a certain way that I couldn't control. And so I just ended up being, you know, I was the one who would be frustrated or unhappy. And really it was all my, in my control. It's funny. Does that make sense? No, it a hundred percent makes sense. Cause when I read that article, which I think it was probably 2012, cause I was at Grantland. And I, I had a really complicated career at that point. And I was like running Grantland, co-running 30 for 30 and just doing all these things. And I was kind of wired the way you were, where I was right. constantly frustrated that everybody else wasn't, oh, why aren't we doing this? And, and, uh, and eventually you realize that um, a lot of it's coming from you. Like not everybody is going to be a maniac about this stuff. And once I realized that, it was easier for me. Yeah, and for a couple of reasons. One, you're just on on a selfish level. If you, you're not going to get the best out of somebody if you're making them feel not feel good about what they're doing. Yeah, and then more importantly, for your own spiritual sort of you know happiness, <laughs> you're going to just keep on churning it up, and yeah, you know, and you're always going to be unhappy. And that's that's what I realized, and and so I. I you know, I think, and in the last, I think like five, six, seven years, that's, that's, you know, slowly kind of like getting closer to understanding what is going to make me happy and how I'm going to kind of go through life feeling, feeling better. That's, that's, you know, to me what I want. Were you aware of, you know, with comic, especially comic actors, successful ones, it seems like there's a shelf life and it can go somewhere between like six to 12 years, depending on on the audience and just the kind of work you're doing. And then after that, it's just really hard to make a dent, you know? And it's almost like you have so many movies in you and people kind of, they get a feel for you. You've met their expectations and then it's just hard to continually impress them. And that's usually when actors, like they'll, they'll be in more dramas or they'll start directing or all this stuff. But were you aware of that whole kind of shelf life of a famous comic actor? Um, you know, not unaware of it, but I, I never thought of it that way when I was acting and getting into it because it was never what my, like, it, it just, like I said, when I was, you know, when something about Mary happened, I've been doing it for a while. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's like, you're one of those guys and you have the opportunity now to star in comedies and do it. And it, and. Cause your run was, I mean, really over a decade, which does not happen. Yeah. You but, know? Yeah. It's a very complicated thing, I think, because when you're in it, you're, it's up to you as a person to decide what you want to do with your life. You know, right. what, what is it that's going to make you happy? 
And I was in that and I wanted to keep doing that and I enjoyed doing it um, because in, in a certain way, it's really, um, it's very enticing when you can do something that makes people laugh and make a lot of people laugh and people go to the movies and go see it. It's really exciting. It's yeah. fun, you know? Um, but it, it, within that, you have to also just find your own way of like, what's, well, what am I, why am I doing this? What, what's making me creatively happy? And underneath, I always had the same thing I want to do since I was 10 years old, which was I want to be making different kinds of movies as a director and as an actor too. But I was also nurturing the comedic um, thing, which then in a certain way, I think puts people, you're in people's heads as that, which I feel as an audience when I see yeah. certain actors, I'm like, well, that, that guy is so burned in my, you know, psyche as that kind of character. So I, you know, I think about it. Yeah. I thought about it a little bit, but I also was making the choices that at the time for me were like, well, this is, this would be a fun movie to do, or I'd like to do this or, you know, um, life choices. What movie worked out in the most possible ways that you were happy with that you did where you look back and you're like, that was my best, that was my best experience. Uh, I'd say Tropic Thunder. I was going to, I was my... about to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Kyle favorite. I mean, that was, I think we're in a way it all kind of came together. Yeah. For it me seemed like as, it. as an experience. Um, Highest degree of difficulty probably too, right? It was challenging and it was, <laughs> it was at a moment in time in the movie business where you could make a movie like that, yeah. you know, with that, that budget and, and that expectation of, and, you know, and it, and it just did okay at the box office. It did well enough. It wasn't like a gigantic hit, but it made its money back and, um, and it was, you know, it, it was what it wanted to be. And the experience of making it was, you know, I, I love the experience of making it when I think back on it. Has a long tail. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's definitely crossed um, over. And it was an idea that I had had literally since 1987 when I was this little part in uh, this Steven Spielberg movie, Empire of the Sun. And, yeah. and it was just like sort of like this little seed of an idea. And then talked to my friend, Justin throw about it. And we like, we're nurturing this idea for like 10 years uh, before we even, and, and when we finally made it, it was one of those things where I was like, oh my God, we're actually making this movie. We've been talking about this thing for years and years. Yeah. And we're actually doing it. And it comes out basically right before social media takes off. And it's yeah. the end of this generation of comedy when I feel like people are really pushing the envelope. And now that has become well, so much harder. It would be very tough to get that made in terms I of agree. the politically correct world that we're in. I yeah. Mean, if not impossible. But was that was part of the joke of the Downey character was it was <laughs> Admitting it was politically incorrect, that was the joke. So I don't even know how that would work with the way things worked out in 2018. I'll, I'll tell you, it would not even get off the ground, you know? Yeah, it you're really probably would. right. It would just be a, a big, big uh, hurdle. And even I've been surprised, you know, over the last year or so with all the debates that are going on that people haven't brought that movie up as like, oh my God, you know, look at this horrible thing. Right. <laughs> You know, because but you were I, making fun of it, so I don't make know. It always clear to me and, and to us when we were making it was we're making fun of the actors. We're making fun of the actors and their egos and these people who will do anything to win awards and yeah. and and this sort of um, you know narcissism. So that was always very clear. But you know, even when we did make it, we got in trouble with the uh, you know the Special Olympics people. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I showed it to the NAACP uh, before the movie came out because I was concerned 
uh, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I got that point of view. And that, that's where the, it comedy becomes dangerous to me when somebody's making fun of something, but then people still, Hey, that's where, as we head into this next deck, next decade, I really wonder where some of that goes. I mean, we talk about it in the rewatchable podcast. We do. We always talk about would that work now, or how does that look in 2019 versus, and especially with the comedies, it's really interesting because in some cases well, you're like, yeah, they wouldn't do that now. And you get why. And in other cases, it's like, well, it's real. It is interesting. Cause it I, is comedy. I, I just watched airplane with my son. Oh my God. And yeah, there's like seven scenes that could never happen now. Oh my God. It's like, they just, line up to punch the lady when they she's hysterical. The they, they speak jive. That right. whole thing is no way that could happen. No now. way. Um, and yet there's some really, really just still incredibly funny things in the movie, but like so many politically incorrect things that I even looked at going like, well, that's really wrong. Like, I don't, you know, that doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. You know, but there's a lot of comedies from that era that but have I never those thought, moments. And I never thought of that. I never thought twice about it until watching it now, you know? And so that's the hard thing. It's a whole thing with, uh, you know, any of this, with the Me Too movement, any of it is that, and I've heard people talk about this where it's impossible to go back 30 years and say, we should have done this because that's where we were 30 years ago. Yep. You know, th those mistakes were being made because that's where the culture was at. And that's what, that's how people were acting. Right. So, you know, how do you retroactively try to fix that when the fact is that's just where we were. And yeah, so, I, I have a lot of trouble right. legislating past behavior. Cause right. I mean, think about in baseball, they wouldn't even, let black people play until 1947. That's still only how many years? 70 years ago? Like that's, if, you, if you're just going backwards, you're right. Whatever was going on in that year probably says a lot about what was going on in that year, whether you're talking about culture, sports, the way people were treated. Right. It's and, all, you know, as long as we're getting better at stuff as yeah. the years go by, that's no, kind of what matters. Yes. I mean, but like, you know, Spike Lee points out, you know, Thomas Jefferson, slave owner, pedophile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, wrote the declaration of independence. So, um, it's, it's, but do you worry about comedy in 2020? How, how, how the envelope is going to get pushed? Cause I, I, I worry that it to, won't get pushed. I honestly don't even know how to approach it. You know, I mean, for me as a, as a, you just got to make eight episode prison dramas. I well, think is the it's answer. much easier. It's much easier. <laughs> really. Um, and I'm happy to do that. Uh, because it's really, it's really hard. It's really hard to, well, if you do that, we wonder how people are going to react. Um, we uh, are producing, my company's producing a show on the CW called In the Dark. It's about uh, a blind uh, woman, who, a 20-something blind woman who's uh, trying to solve a murder. And she's a very flawed character. And the lead actress who's playing her isn't blind. We, you know, audition blind actors and there are blind actors who are in the show. But that was the first question that was asked. And they did a sketch on SNL the other night. Uh, who who can I play? Which is that sketch? So that funny. sketch was incredible. It was so great. Yeah, that and was that's really exactly good. where we are right now. That's you know that's that's the problem. Yeah, I think the biggest issue for me is it's just so easy for people to mobilize against um, a perceived slight or a real slight, either one. But or 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 figuring out what's the difference between the perceived and the real. And whether it's perceived or real or genuine or whatever, you just get a bunch of people coming at somebody right away. Right. And I, I think my fear is it's going to make people who make comedy hesitant 
which, you know, part of what makes comedy great is you make mistakes. You know, you, you push a line this way and, oh, that didn't work, but it's okay. We're all in this together. And now we're not all in this together in the same way. And that, I think that's what worries me. Yeah. I think as long as your intention is clear, then it, in terms of what you think is funny about it, you know, that's, that's sort of what you have to trust. Which is what Tropic Thunder, that's why I think that's immune to this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, maybe, maybe that's why. Um, and I feel like that's who you have to be really, um, precise on and knowing that's where you're coming from and then be willing to suffer the slings and arrows of how people come at you, you know? Where, what do you, what's the next iteration of this? Just family comedies? Instant family with Mark Wahlberg? Great movie, by the way. I enjoyed it. Whole family watched it. It was really good. But is that where we're heading? Just safe no, family comedies? I honestly don't. Th I think it has to be cyclical. I think it has to come around and I think you okay. know, comedy people are going to get sick of not being able to be who they are and or not being brave enough to do it and maybe i don't know if it'll be me or somebody else but somebody's gonna go out there and say you know fuck it i just want to do what i think is funny because this happened uh, in the late 60s early 70s and that led to a lot of the comedy that not just what led to snl but lenny bruce and george carlin and um people rebelling against other people telling them what they can and cannot say and we revered that generation like yeah these people are badasses they weren't afraid they were, and they made mistakes. They said dumb things, Richard Pryor. Um, yeah. But the way we regarded, like our generation regarded those people were like, man, those guys were rebels. They right. really, they weren't afraid of anybody. And now I, I wonder maybe that's what's coming next. I think next. there are those people out there though and really funny people who who don't give a shit, who, you know, who get it. I mean, it's just a different world now with, with social media and Twitter and the instant, yeah. the instant uh, reaction to things and um, but I do think it's, it's going to come back around. Wow. I do. An <laughs> optimistic moment. It stopped raining. Yeah. <laughs> the sun came out. <laughs> so what's next to you? What do the next five years look like for you? Oh my God. Yeah. What's, what's Jesus, on, what's on no. the agenda? Um, maybe the reality Knicks, bites sequel. I want the Knicks to win a game or two. <laughs> I forgot you're a huge Knicks fan. I put that on the agenda for this. Oh my you, god! It's all coming around. You got KD coming. You're doing the lottery. Um, this is great. We need to change the culture at the Knicks. Do you like Fizdale? I like Fizdale. He's been okay. I think he's done a masterful job tanking. Uh, I, I, I think I don't. I don't disagree with you. Their last 41 games, they were five and 36. I know. No, it's depressing. It's outstanding. It's depressing. It's what you As a Knicks fan, it's depressing. How often do you go? I go like five or six, five or six times a year. Ethan Hawke was afraid to talk about this, but then ended up saying fuck it and talked about this. But didn't he, what did he, didn't he say he got banned? Because he, he wants his out. ticket. He got he kicked got out? Banned. Yeah. yeah. He got banned. Because yeah, Dolan will just, he'll, you know, he'll, yeah. he'll take it out I, I, on I people. I think the culture has to change there. And um, I think, you know, Knicks fans are so, love the Knicks so much. They're so loyal and they're so hungry for um, a positive, anything positive, just anything positive, you know, and we love our, 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 um, you know, the great Knicks who are still there and who are, you know, that, that, that whole history to me, that's, what's exciting to me about going to you Knicks. Know, there's guys are in their eighties now. I know <laughs> they're wheeling them out. Look, I'm coming like, out of their walkers. I'm in my 73 days. Like I'm like, just, I want to see a championship before I die. I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, it is amazing. It's been 46 years though. Yeah. Look, it's exciting. If I meet Bill Bradley, yeah. you know, or Walt Frazier at a game, that to me is 
I, I, that makes me happy because I literally don't even know who's playing in the on the team because it changes so much. But you're probably like one of the youngest Knicks fans that remembers the 73 title team. I do remember, right? yeah. I so you, the cutoff would be you'd have to be like six when that happened. Yeah. Maybe you could remember. I was but, eight. Yeah. I, I totally remember it. And I remember going to the garden. I remember, you know, the excitement of it. And then, and it, it's just, it's a really tough situation <laughs> right now. Because so I would hope in the next five years that, yeah, if KD comes and. What's your move when they show you on the video screen? I do everything I can to avoid being shown on the do video. Do you just put I, your like hands on your face? I, like I do payoffs to them to not show me on the video. <laughs> you see the cameraman coming around, you're just whipping hundreds at them. I swear to God, I'll do everything I can to avoid it. Um, do you look at the camera or do you like look it's, to the it's, side? It's, there's no good way to do it, first of all. Because like if you come after, you know, Jerry Cooney or any of the giants who have yeah. they always get a huge or anybody from the Sopranos a huge cheer, then it's always a letdown when they get to me. <laughs> <It's> like, <"Yay!" laughs> um but uh it's you know i or get next to somebody you know just get do do like a two shot they get to be next to howard stern yes exactly exactly howard's perfect the best one i've ever seen at it is jay-z he looks at the camera briefly he looks cool as hell and then he just looks away and it's like the camera's not there anymore and he's just mastered it yeah he can do that yeah he's jay-z he's i feel like he's practiced it (laughs) yeah I, i that's not my thing I can't. I mean, yeah. You look up, try to be humble, wave, and then hope that they get it off you as soon as possible before the whatever smattering dies down. So, do you like listen to Francesa? Like, how hardcore are you? Uh, no, 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 no. Michael K. Show? No, no. Nothing? I don't get into a lot of. You that. don't get into sports. Radio? I like Alan Hahn. You know. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think that um, Mike Breen and I like Mike Breen and Clyde. I think Mike Breen's amazing. Mike announcer. Breen's amazing. He's just like he just makes it so much more exciting. You know. Um, and I like like Ernie Johnson. I like you know watch those guys, uh, but I, I'd imagine if I was a player, those guys must be really hard because just like they're so harsh on the players. So you're not on NBA Twitter following uh, ten thousand no, people. No, I, I I check it out. Yeah, I, yeah, I check it out. Yeah. What's your wish list for the wish list for the summer? KD. Um, yeah. KD I mean, and Kyrie. I don't know about that. Could that happen? Do you think that could happen? It could happen. It yeah. would be an interesting personality I mean, combo. I think, you know, Zion would be great. Zion would be great. <laughs> Zion and KD, I'll, t- I'll take that. Um, I mean, honestly, just any cohesive team that has a couple of great players on it that stay, that yeah. just stay and don't leave. I was, you know, like I, I, I got friendly with Ennis Cantor. so sad. <laughs> I know. I, I became friendly with Ennis Cantor while he was there. And, you know, the guy like couldn't love New York more and be more of a positive influence. Or Ron Baker even. Yeah. Like, you know, this guy was just like out there giving it all, you know, whatever he had to give, he was giving. Fans loved him. They just give us a little something, just hang on to it for the season at least, you know? Right. But it just like, boom, you know what I mean? Just pulled out from under you and you're like, you all sound of a sudden, like Henry Ellingworth. I don't know what's <laughs> Henry going on. Henry Ellison. What's happening? <laughs> no, sa- no, no offense to Henry. I just don't know. I can't keep up. You sound like one of those bachelor contestants who gets voted out in the limo and it's like, I don't know. It's, is it me? Why can't, why can't anyone love me for me? I've been bringing my son for like, since we moved back to New York for like nine years and he's seen like less than, you see yeah, like less three, than five good games, like three wins. He's seen three wins. I'm not kidding. And we don't go to a lot of games, but like we go to like four or five or six. Eight, and then the, the odds statistically are against him seeing a win. He doesn't care about being courtside. He doesn't care about anything. He just wants to see a win. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. It's, yeah. They, it's see, he's just going to end up playing Fortnite over watching basketball. Yeah. The Knicks are just losing a fan. 
for life. They need James to Dolan's fix this. Fault. Come on, save my son, James. What's the best interaction you've had with an athlete? Um, ooh, gosh. Um, do the do the players if they see you courtside do they do yeah. they do they I mean honestly, say anything to you? Yeah, look, yeah, some of them I talk to and say hi to. Um, you do a complicated handshake with them? I I can do awkward complicated handshake. Um, who was I talking to? I uh, uh, Dirk Nowitzki and I. Oh I, yeah, I played in Dirk's uh, tennis tournament. <laughs> really? <laughs> Why wasn't that televised? What? Why was that televised? Dirk's tennis tournament. We should have gotten save, the rights to, save to that. People from <laughs> that, that seeing that. Um, no, uh, Dirk's actually a really good player. Yeah, but, uh, he just started. I think the last couple of years. And um, so I, I like Dirk. I, I brought like I brought Quinn, my son, down to a Dallas game, and he had like the best time. And then you know Dirk took him in the practice court afterwards, and you know they shot some shots together, and that was amazing. You know, and then like running into Bill Bradley recently in a Knicks game. That to me was just like, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. I remember when the Celtics hit dark times in the late nineties, mm -hmm. all we really had was when the old guys used to show up, mh mm -hmm. you know, be like, oh man, Bill Russell's here. Right. You know, meanwhile we're losing by like 28. No, that that's literally what that, we're, where we are yeah. in New York. Yeah. It um, feels like it might shift though. I played with Harrison Barnes. We played back and forth. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I went to see them play when Sacramento came to see the Knicks a couple of weeks ago. I went and that was fun to see Harrison because we I, I gave him some tennis pointers. Like I didn't even know what I'm doing playing tennis. I forgot to ask you what it was like to share your dad with America when he was became George Costanza's dad forever, but it was your dad. Yeah. But then yeah. he he became somebody <laughs> else's dad for basically 20 million people. Yeah. It's That's kind of weird. Nobody's ever asked me that. Yeah. It's really interesting. I thought it'd be really strange for me if my dad was known as somebody it, else's dad. It was an interesting thing because, you know, people have their experience of me and know me. Yeah, they know my dad, and then they, and of course, love Seinfeld. So I think sometimes I would get sort of like grouped in to the all of it. You know what I mean? Like your dad, George's dad. You know, the <laughs> dynamic was just like dad, George is your brother, son, George. Yeah, exactly. And and we never really were. You know, I I, I never really Jason and I were never really knew each other that well. So it's always it's always a little awkward when we see each other. <laughs> Like he's cheating on me. My dad's cheating on me. Because yeah, when you when you got the TV show initially, you your parents were really famous for our generation. Like everybody knew who Stiller Romero was, and then, um, and then eventually for this whole other generation, he's just George's dad. And I yes. always it's always weird when things work out that way. Well, that's the way it goes. Yeah, the way it goes. Because that shows will never stop being on television. It's on all the right. time. And also King of Queens, my dad's on. Oh, that's right. And, and equally known for that now too. But um, Seinfeld will be on no, for 7,000 years. Seinfeld is Seinfeld, but it's... Uh, it's on at 11 o'clock every night in every city. And that's just the way it's going to go, I guess, forever. Forever, yeah. That well, and Friends. It'll just be Seinfeld and Friends Seinfeld for the rest of our lives. Seinfeld and Friends are the big ones. You yeah. were on Friends once. I was on Friends once. You were, yeah. were you ever on Seinfeld? I was never on Seinfeld, no. I was on King of Queens once, too. But, uh, you know, for my dad, it was a great thing because he did. He was with my mom, Stiller, Mira. Yeah. And, you know, they, they did their thing in the 70s and 80s and they were still working hard. But then when when Seinfeld happened, it it was like a whole new audience for him. It seemed like really Seinfeld happy. got like a genuine kick out of him, too. Oh, they loved you him. see like the outtakes and stuff. Larry. Like he, yeah. David, like all those guys. They, they loved him because they just it always he just made him like because my dad worked so hard. He was so, you know, would work like he would approach it like he was doing Shakespeare. Yeah. Every episode. <laughs> 
and he had to run it and he had to rehearse it and you know he had to hold it and he would and sometimes he would forget his lines and they loved it when he'd like almost forget his lines but his process of working so hard and being so in it was what made everybody they just enjoyed that part of it you know when especially when he would screw up it was great casting too because him and Jason Alexander could both go zero to a hundred in like a split second. And it really did seem like they're related. They like just all of a sudden they're upset. And I said this before, but that is nothing like my dad is like, my dad is not like that. He's like the most quiet, calm guy, but yet he has that in him. And, uh, and he, you know, he's just naturally funny. He's just like a naturally funny person. How did your parents react when you became this A plus list comedy actor? That must have been strange for them. Um, I would. Were, it would be super strange for me if that happened. They were to my son. Yeah, I don't know what. What I mean, I think they were happy and proud. And my mom would sort of, I think, was always wanting me to do different kinds of stuff. Yeah, honestly, like she was like very proud, but like she was very well read and liked uh, independent movies. And yeah. I think she was always pushing me to kind of do, you know, to do different kinds of things. All right. Um, I took you too long. I took too much of your time. That's okay. So escape. I'm taking my my daughter to visit uh, college today. Are you really? Yeah. Yeah. She's a junior. So that's exciting. It is exciting. And we're Um, doing it all above board. No payoffs. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm going the other way. I think the inefficiency now is the payoffs. Nobody's expecting it anymore. Now right. it's even, now exactly. it's like they, nobody thinks that's ever going to happen again. Now is the time to now really, it's time to make now it you're getting discount, <laughs> discount payoffs. Got that guy's number. Could have been 500K a year ago. Now it's like 100K. They're just desperate to be a business with anybody. <laughs> Going out of business sale. <laughs> I fully expect 20 more of her stores, uh, stories off that story to be happening. In oh yeah. New York. You know, this happens in New York in the private schools. Come many on. Many people have probably not been discovered yet. Yeah. Or yeah. uncovered. I think there's a lot of people right now going, it's very, Oh indic- my God. No, it's indicative of like, look, I'm in it right now with my, my daughter and you see that, you know, it's tough on the kids. It's tough on the parents and people just, you know, want go one notch too far. It's, I, I, I can't imagine doing it, but yet you see where it's coming from. Which is, that's the interesting thing, you know, the desire the parents have for their kids to do well, for something they didn't have, you know, that they want and all that. And the competitiveness with the other parents, which is yeah, weird. Yeah, sure. Itself. No, that's a thing. That's definitely a thing. It's a dick measuring contest. Yes, but... for sure. The way the parents offhandedly will tell you what their kids are doing. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, escape at Dana Mora. Yes. We, it was originally called Escape at Clinton Correctional. Why was it Escape from Dana Mora? I don't understand. Because we didn't want to it to be like escape from Alcatraz and we felt like escape at was an interesting way of saying that Dannemora which is the town was it was more than necessarily just the prison because okay. Tilly was also wanting to escape and then we had a big debate about just calling it Dannemora because for that reason which is like if people like are you know hashtag escape from Dannemora they're not going to get escape at Dannemora but then we ended up just going with escape. Dan I Moore. think I tweeted about it because I was really into it. And I think I did from instead of yeah, at. Yeah. And then I had to delete the tweet and <laughs> do it again. You redid I'm the a tweet? tweet deleter. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. If I, I have I, a typo, I I'm, it's out. I'm well, deleting it. You can't it. fix it once you make you it. You can't. Yeah. God forbid you can fix like, a on, tweet. On Instagram, you can fix your caption. 100%. We're such social media experts. I know. We're, look at us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you can, list, you can watch that on the Showtime app. 
Yes. And which yeah. on Amazon, which has, if you have Amazon Prime, I think it has Showtime too. But And the DVD is coming out. And the DVD is coming out. features on it. I did commentaries oh. with Patricia and all like our, our crew. And oh, that's cool. I tried to make it like a DVD back in the old days when people bought DVDs. I recommend the show. It's really good. Thanks. Um, I enjoyed it. I was sad when it was over. I was hoping it would just go seven more episodes of them in Canada. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, they got caught. Thanks for doing this. Good luck with the Knicks. Thanks, man. Thank you.